You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Scripture reading is from John 17, 1 to 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life, eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you, have, that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come to you now, as we hear your word, we ask that you would do the work that only you can do, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that that your Spirit would apply these words to our lives, that you would use these words spoken this morning to minister your grace to each one here. I pray... In particular, for those who are coming with special burdens this morning, who are feeling weighed down, that you would minister to them. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In this prayer, Jesus is praying for glory. Glory. We all long for glory. The glory of winning a game, the glory of accomplishment or success of some kind. Oh, to be glorified, to be seen as great, to be appreciated for who you are and who I am, to be seen as desirable, beautiful, as good. We want this. We want glory. And not only do we want to be glorious, I'd suggest, but we also want to experience glory. Uh, to, to behold what's beautiful, whether that's through music or art or nature, to taste glory in all of its goodness. The, the great American author John, John Steinbeck gets at this deep-seated desire for glory in his book, East of Eden. He writes this, Sometimes a kind of glory lights up the mind of a man. It happens to nearly everyone. You can feel it growing or preparing like a fuse burning toward dynamite. It is a feeling in the stomach, a delight of the nerves, of the forearms. The skin tastes the air, and every deep-drawn breath is sweet. The whole world glows outside your eyes. A man may have lived his whole life in the gray, the land and trees of him dark and somber. The events, even the important ones, may have trooped by, faceless and pale. And then the glory. 
so that a cricket song sweetens his ears. The smell of the earth rises, chanting to his nose, and dappling light under a tree blesses his eyes. And I guess a man's importance in the world can be measured by the quality and number of his glories. Steinbeck's getting at this, this deep human desire to taste and to touch glory. But how do we go about getting glory, experiencing glory? How do we go about pursuing this desire even to be glorified? See, the problem in a biblical perspective is not that we want to experience glory because glory is ultimately from God and for God and to be returned to God. It's something that God gives as a gift. And in a certain sense, it's not even a problem that we want to be glorified because it turns out, what we find in the ministry of Christ, that this is what God is up to in our world, that God is in fact committed to doing, to rescuing people, to glorifying his people. The problem, though, that we know, I think we know well, is that we're people who go after glory in the wrong ways. We want glory for ourselves in all the wrong ways. We want uh, to adapt a phrase that's used early in, earlier in John's gospel, we want the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. Isn't that true of you, of us? We want to matter. We want to be seen as good, as capable. We want to be noticed for our strengths and for what we have to offer. We want to be glorified in, in these ways. And there's something... Uh, there's something I suggest that's actually really good about this. You know, that as those who are made in the image of God, there is a glory that humans have a share in. As those who reflect God's goodness in all of the world, we're made for glory and to be glorified. But of course, uh, we need to be careful here in, our, in any such pursuits of glory because there is, it turns out, there is a right way of pursuing glory, of experiencing glory, of wanting glory for ourselves. There's a right way. And then there's, of course, a wrong way to pursue this, this glory. And here in John 17, in the opening of Jesus' prayer, what's again called the high, his high priestly prayer, we hear the prayer of a man, Jesus, coming to the end of his own life, the end of his ministry, lifting his eyes to heaven and saying, Father, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. I glorified you, Father, and now, glor now Father, glorify me. He says, glorify me with the, Father, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. It turns out that glory, for all of our own human desire for it, to be caught up in it, is not just what we want for ourselves, but what God wants for God's self. That Jesus, at the end of his public ministry, is looking to God and saying, glorify your name. Receive all glory. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you set out for me to do. I've done it. Right? I've done it, Jesus is saying. I've given you glory. I've, I've, I've completed the task, the great task that you've given me to do in the earth, to give glory to you. Now glorify your son. That's what he's praying. And in saying this, in praying this way, Jesus reveals quite explicitly, I'd say, the reason for everything reason for everything that exists, for all of creation, for his own mission in the world. It's what existed in, in the beginning, and it's what all of history is moving toward, the glory of God, God's own glory, and glory in the sense, it, it turns out, 
is at the center of who God is and what God is doing in the world. God, the Son, seeking the glory of the Father through his life on earth. And the Father seeking the glory of the Son. Father, glorify your Son, Jesus prays, that the Son may glorify you. Now, of course, what seems to be left out in all of this, in Jesus' um, concern for the glory of the Father and the Father's concern for the glory of the Son, you could say, what about you and me? Right, what about our glory? Do we have a share in God's glory? Shouldn't God be a little more concerned about our pursuits of glory? Shouldn't God be a little more concerned with, with, with your desires to be noticed, to be, to be glorified in a certain sense? You know, and if God isn't mo most concerned with our own glory, is it, is it so wrong for us to be, you know, to be glory seekers? And these are questions to which the Bible responds um, with a resounding no. We, we shouldn't be those who are seeking glory in this way for ourselves. And that, in fact, what we find throughout the scriptures is that life ultimately is not about you and your glory, or me and my glory, but about God. Right? Um, in an age when religion is probably often thought of as basically a tool for self-help, right, this may come as a surprise, that God is not all about us and our glory in this sense, right? that God's great purpose in life is not to serve you and your interests, but that you would serve his that God's great desire is not so much to help you fulfill your dreams and get glory, but that you'd lose your life, is the way Jesus puts it, that you'd use, lose your life and find life in him as we lose our own lives, as we find our life to be with him and knowing him and communion with him. That what's paramount in God's mind as his chief pursuit is not your glory, but his own. And what we find in the scriptural witness consistently is that God, is passionate about his own glory and that he made us for his glory. <laughs> that whatever glory we might have is found is wrapped up in who he is in giving glory to him and living to his praise. That Jesus is about the Father, we find here in Jesus' prayer. And the Father is about the Son. And the glory of the Father and the Son, as we later find out, is wrapped up with the Spirit. And that this is what's paramount to God. So that while we continue to seek glory for ourselves and be a people who are naturally inclined to wanting glory from others, to be praised by others, we find that God is about God's own glory. While we go about trying to be seen and accepted, to find life, God is about God's glory. And in fact, we should be too. As the man Jesus is about the glory of the Father, so we too should be those who are about glorifying the Father in the Son through the Spirit. We should be a people who are all about the glory of God. And yet, there's something more to be said here. Something in Jesus' prayer that changes everything for how we understand God's own passion for his own glory. And it's this. That God has determined, he's determined to be glorified by giving life to those who are dying. That God has determined that his own glory would be bound up with his creatures, with giving life to his creatures, you and me. Okay? People who are headed for death, headed for 
dismal life that God has wrapped up his own glory with his creatures, with the life that he grants to us, that he's determined that his glory would be bound up with our good. We find this here in this passage. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. See, it turns out, again, that that God's glory and Jesus' prayer for it is entirely bound up with granting new life, eternal life, to humans. Turns out that your desires for life, even for glory, aren't disconnected from God's greatest and highest pursuit of his own glory. That one of the ways, you might say the chief way, that God is getting glory for himself in creation is by giving life to people like you and like me. And maybe this is why the story of the prodigal son is such a powerful well, and, and famous, well-known story. Because it's a story that really dramatizes this basic movement that, that humans are lost in our brokenness. We're lost. We've, we've abandoned the Father. We've gone our own way. We've loved other things more. But that there's a Father who welcomes us back home, who, who welcomes us to be restored to him. That though we've wronged him and we, we've, we've gone and taken everything that he's given us, spent it in all the wrong ways, that we've, though we've wronged him, that when we return, he receives us. And actually what we find is it's his glory to do so. It is his glory to restore people who have returned to him. It's his glory to give life to people who are dead. You'll remember in that story, my son who was once dead is now alive. And this is the glory of the father to receive back his son. And so it is with you. You may be here and feeling far from God this morning. You may, in fact, be far from God this morning. And if that's you, please hear this. That it is God's glory to bring you home. It is God's glory to bring you home and to restore you to him. It's God's glory to receive you and to give you who are dead and dying life through Jesus. It's God's glory to give you life and to rescue you from sin and from darkness. Glorify your Son, Jesus prays, that the Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, eternal life. It sounds like the stuff of fairy tales. The idea that if you do the right things in life, maybe, that God will give you some magical potion that will you know, result in unending life, that life will just go on forever. But that's not, not at all the way that the Bible talks about this eternal life. In fact, eternal life isn't so much about life enduring forever, but it's, it's not so much referring to a, a quantity of time as it is a quality of time. It's life characterized by communion with God, the one who made us again We're from him, we're for him, we're made for communion with him. And eternal life is about being bound back together with the God who made us for himself. It's defined here as life in communion with God. And it starts now. It's not something that just starts after our death in some later time. Eternal life, this life eternal that God is, is, is providing for us, welcoming us into, is a life of communion with him now. As Jesus puts it, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Our world is full of 
the waking dead, the walking dead, spiritually dead people. Dead in our sins is the way that the Bible describes us. Dead in our alienation from the only one who could possibly give us life. And we are, to appropriate Steinbeck's language, living in the gray, in a land dark and somber, with the events of life trooping by, faceless and pale. And the Lord says to us, who are living in the dismal gray, he says to us, wake up, wake up. Come to life, you who are lifeless, you who are dead in your sins and your trespasses, cut off from the life of glory, the light which is the life of God, cut off from the very possibility of experiencing that which is most glorious. Wake up, wake up to life, because this is eternal life, Jesus says, that you, me, might know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Jesus' message here is clear, that the life and glory that you and I are after, the thing that we're naturally after, that we feel in our bones, that we want. We want to be glorified. We want to experience and participate in glory, that the life of glory that we're after, we will be searching forever for it, forever, until finally submitting ourselves to the God who made us and find that all life and all glory can only be known and experienced, truly known, through Jesus in whose face shines the glory of God. Now, as, as we come to a close, I have to ask, why, why through Jesus? Why does Jesus pray this, that, the, that this knowledge comes through Jesus? What does Jesus Christ have to do with our life? Well, in context, remember that Jesus is standing right at the end of his public ministry, as I said earlier. And here he prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. And you'd think when he says, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that this glory would be a call to raise Jesus up in power and prominence, in a place of a uh, position of honor and, and, and power and praise. But this, it turns out, is not what's happening. And instead, in a strange twist of events, Jesus' call to be glorified, it does raise him up. But it raises him up on a cross to be crucified, to be pierced and spat on. Behold, the glory of the Son to the glory of God the Father at the cross. The glory of God revealed in his crucifixion on a tree. So that somehow, this central claim of the Christian message that Jesus died for us, it pairs together Jesus crucified and Jesus glorified in this hour of glorification. And how can this be the case, we can ask? How is it that a crucified man can be the glory of God? How can this be the case? And in some ways, it's quite simple. That God is committed to being glorified. That God's glory, that God has determined to bound up his glory with granting life to dying sinners. And the only answer for those on our way to eternal death is for one who knows no sin to become sin for us, that we might become, as Paul says, the righteousness of God, to take our place, to die our death, so that we could be welcomed home to God. And here is the great mystery of God's glory, that God has willed that his glory be bound up 
with the life of his creatures, made in his image, to all whom the Lord has granted to believe in Christ. Jesus prayed that the Father would glorify the Son, and that the Son would glorify the Father. He's passionate about his own glory. But as we've seen, the way that God is determined to get glory in our world is by giving life to the dead, to the walking dead, like you and like me. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give life, eternal life, to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's pray. Father, it's a great mystery that you've bound up your creatures with your own glory. That in all of our own pursuits of our own glory, we find this word that you're far more for our glory for glorifying your creatures than we ever could be. That you're far more for us than we are for ourselves and our own self-destructive habits and desires. That you call us to lay down our lives, to find life in you, who has given us everything. Father, help us to be a people who trust you, who trust what you say, who glory in your goodness to us and who follow Jesus on his own path to glory through death to resurrection. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at christchurchtoronto.ca or email us at info at christchurchtoronto.ca.